Welcome to Frame of Reference, informed, intelligent conversations about the issues and challenges facing everyone in today's world. In-depth interviews with Sauk County's leaders and professionals to help you expand and inform your Frame of Reference. Brought to you by the Max FM Digital Network. Now here's your host, Raul Labresh. Well, welcome to another edition of Frame of Reference. And uh, if you listened last week, which I hope you did, because if you didn't, you need to go back and listen to last week. But um, I started a conversation with Todd Werger, who is the executive director of the Sauk Prairie Healthcare Foundation. And uh, I get the advantage of starting this week's episode by knowing that's actually the name of the foundation and not guessing from old knowledge about what the, what it was called now. But the uh, Sauk Prairie Healthcare Foundation is particularly involved in uh, raising money, which foundations, that's kind of at the core, but raising money to help improve the quality of health here in the Sauk Prairie area. And some of that was, we even talked about like some of the uh, machines that you've been able to help purchase uh, to help keep people safe and, and healthy. Um, but thank you, Todd, for being here. Thank sure. you very much. No, you're welcome. And thank you for allowing me to be your guest. Well, it's always a pleasure to talk with somebody I haven't talked with before, you know, and uh, in the healthcare area in particular, I, I've talked with, you know, Dr. McAuliffe a number of times. And mm-hmm. um, it's interesting because you were talking about how, um, you know, you you trust physicians to kind of be aware of things and really be, uh, you know, have a foundation for the, the things that they're recommending specifically uh, for medicine. But when I talked with uh, um, Dr. McAuliffe about his favorite reading his favorite book that he liked to read. He said, you know, I really have to say it's probably the New England Medical Journal. And I thought to myself, my Lord, I never ever would imagine that someone would say, I love reading the New New England Medical Journal. But, you know, that just made me really appreciate the, that he wants to spend his free time reading that tells speaks volumes to me about the quality of his medical care, right? Well, and I, I'll just say that... Um, I've had an opportunity to sit down with Dr. McAuliffe on a couple of occasions. He's, he's done some gifts uh, to the foundation and on one that was recent a couple months ago, he came to my office and his checkbook and he was writing a check. And, you know, I just really appreciate Dr. McAuliffe, what he stands for, some of his principles in life. And, um, he's just a, he's just such a great guy. He, um, you know, he's, uh, I, I, I won't say how old he is, but uh, he has no intentions of slowing down. Let's put it that way, even though he's somebody that probably could have could have retired. I joke with him and tell him um, he's 424 years old and he thanks me for that. He's great. You talk about somebody that's, that's passionate about what he does. I mean, yeah. and you know, um, don't we all kind of want that to some degree to, to have that thing that, gets you up in the morning that you love to do, you know, you're making a difference in people's lives. And in his case, as a, as a physician and, and the population that he works with, not, not just primary care, but, you know, with some of the difficult and challenging patients he works with, he, he does it with such a, um, an appropriate report about non-judgmental, just trying to, to understand uh, why this patient is, you know, encountering the problems they are and just, um, it's just a great way to be a you know a healer, which is really at the end of the day what he is. And yeah. so I, I really, really so. appreciate what Dr. McAuliffe is as a human being. So you know, I'll I'll use Dr. McAuliffe as a, an example in my mind, at least uh, for what that's worth, as an exemplary leader. 
a leader in healthcare and what that looks like. And, you know, he, he is in many ways the old-fashioned country doctor, you know, who – uh, is exactly the kind of doctor that most people want because you can trust him. He's really thinking about your, you personally and what's best for you personally. He's compassionate about things. You're not just another number or an appointment. You are, you know, a person that he has gotten to know. The, you know, the beauties of being in a smaller area where that can still happen. So using that as an example, do you see examples too of people that you've worked with and maybe not necessarily right now, I would hope at least not now, but people that you've worked with that you watch as a leader and think, no, I don't think I can do that that way. Or uh, you mentioned one of the people that you worked with, you you could tell pretty early on that you guys were not going to get along. I forget your words that you used, but it sounded pretty much like, yeah, this is not the kind of person I can handle as a boss, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, What does that look like when you see it? And how do you evaluate that? Well, so I, um, I think the older, the older I get, the more I, I come to appreciate people, people that I work for that, uh, place a high value on, on, uh, work-life balance. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we can work and work and work, we can work all day. And, um, does that make us any more successful or, um, I'm not convinced it is. I think it's really important that you, you separate yourself from the workplace, no matter how much you love your job. And I, I really, truly enjoy my job and I could do my job many more hours than I do it. But it's really important that you, you, you take the time to be away, to rejuvenate, to be with family. Um, uh, and I would just say that I tend to be drawn to leaders who are very family oriented, that place a high emphasis on, on being present with your families um, I don't want to wake up someday and, and, uh, regret that I didn't spend more time with my kids. I have, I have a young family. I got started late. Um, you know, my oldest is nine. Uh, I have a seven-year-old and a six-year-old and they are the joy of my life. Um, I can't wait to get home. So I, I do have to pry myself away from the office at times and realize that I have a family that's waiting for me and my kids are depending on me and they want to share about their, their successes and their challenges. And it's important as a, as a parent that you be part of that. Um, and so I guess back to the leadership question, the, the people that I've worked for that, that put that kind of an emphasis where they're they say, you know, Todd, you just got to shut it down. You got to go home and just be with your family. I, I really respect that kind of leadership. And I just, that's the kind of leader I want to be as well. And it's really hard, isn't it? To get people that don't see it that way to understand how important that is. It's like, no, you know, there are some bosses I've had that, um, you know, it's, it's not how many hours you've worked. It's how many hours have you worked for me today? You know, so, and that becomes really difficult, especially when you see their families turn out as dysfunctionally as they do to say, well, dude, this is why, you know, you're, you're having all of this other stress and it's because you're not spending the time there. So I, I feel sometimes that like we're talking a different language or like we're on different planets. Um, and the people that you're talking to right now that are resonating with it are going, yeah, man, I need to do that. I need to find a job like that, a boss like that. And yet there's another whole spectrum where I think are like, ah, he's fully, he doesn't know what the heck he's talking about and money, 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 you gotta succeed. You gotta be whatever. I, I, I don't know how to bridge that gap. Do you? No. And I, I, you know, I, in my previous role, before I came to the the hospital, um, 
the person I was reporting to, they, they measured your success based on your office time. And, and the person that I reported to prior looked more at, well, what, what are you doing when you're here? Like how productive and efficient are you? And if you're getting your work done at the end of the day, if you're getting your job done and you want to go and you want to coach that high school swim team, because that's meaningful to you. And that brings you the balance in life that you need that you're going to come back the next day and be even more successful because you have that outlet, you have that side passion you're pursuing, well, then you should be doing that. And But but, but that wasn't the philosophy of this leader that I was reporting to. And in the end of the day, um, we just agreed that this wasn't a, a, a good fit anymore. Sure. But I'm so thankful that I was able to leave, separate myself from that situation and come to the hospital where that is something that's 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 important and that's nurtured is that you you find that right balance and 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 it's all about productivity and what you're getting done doesn't matter if it takes you 15 hours to accomplish or if you do it in 7 that you you're getting your job done and you're moving the needle forward and you know then you 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 can pursue those other things that, and that bring meaning to your life is so important to that isn't it you yep. know, to to be in a healthy place yep. which brings me to one of the re- reasons that we started this conversation and, and initiated doing a podcast together was uh in relation to a mental health first aid uh a class i guess a workshop that is being offered through the foundation um, and that was actually part of a grant too, wasn't it? So it's part of the, uh, the mission of the, the foundation is to offer these kinds of things to keep people healthy. We've been talking about that over and over again, right? We want to keep people healthy and mental health during this pandemic has been particularly, um, difficult. I mean, there, mm-hmm. you know, people that talk about things that have, uh, helped them are folks that are out, you know, they're walking more often, they got a dog, you know I mean? The things that I can really personally identify with, but then there's another whole spectrum of people that just have not been able to find that release or that, that health, healthy thing or healthy people or healthy activity, whatever it is. Um, and it, it's taking a big toll on a lot of us. Um, tell me more about the mental health first aid. How does that play into all of that? No, thanks for all. So I, I started with the foundation in 2018 and prior to my arrival, um, the foundation had been sponsoring, um, a course called mental health first aid training. And, uh, they were partnering with an organization out of Madison called journey mental health. And they put on these courses, they were, uh, kind of, um, targeted a little bit towards the, uh, the schools, but, um, we had a lot of teachers that were taking these courses, uh, other community members, and, um, <clears throat> they, they wanted to see these continue. So I came in and we continued to put on these courses and because our service area is connected with the, the primary care clinics, we were rotating where these courses were being offered. So whether it was one in black earth or one in Lodi or spring green or, or plain and, um, <clears throat> Very well attended courses. People came and, and took them. In fact, I have a, a story to share about a woman who took a cor- took this course uh, in Black Earth. She was a Mazamani resident, and after the course was over, she uh, uh, she was she was basically in a cab riding to a, a destination, and um, she noticed that the cab driver was um, seemed to be exp- under distress. And so she she had just learned some tools and some questions to ask that came from the course and 
And so one of the key questions, and she just was very upfront with the cab driver. She said, um, you know, are you, uh, are, are you feeling okay? Or you, you seem distressed. And she knew this cab driver from other rides. And he said, you know, I'm not, I'm not doing so hot. And she just said, well, are you, are you having suicidal thoughts? And he admitted that he was. And she said, you know, I just came from a mental health first aid course. Um, I'm not getting out of this cab until you place a call. And she, she had the number. She encouraged him to call the, the crisis line. He agreed to do so. Uh, she got out of the cab. The next following weeks, uh, which should have been him driving the cab, he wasn't there. So she really didn't know what had happened. But many weeks went by, and lo and behold, one day she got in the cab, and he was driving. And she said, you know, it's so good to see you. Uh, what, what happened? And he said, well, as a result of that call that you encouraged me to make, I saw um, a therapist. I, I was admitted. Um, I got the help I needed. And I'm just so thankful that you, you encouraged me to do so because otherwise I wouldn't be here right now. And it's just, um, you know, an amazing story about somebody who took this course that was funded by the foundation. Um, she never knew that she would be put in that situation. I think a lot of people take, come and take the course and don't know if they're ever going to put these skills to use. And sure enough, she did. And uh, she's very, very thankful that she, she took took the course and was able to, to help in a time of need. So these are just things that um, I, I took the course back in April. It was a virtual course at the time. And uh, I can say I'm, I'm glad I took it. Uh, it was a good use of my time. And you just never know at, at any point in the future when you may um, encounter a situation where somebody might need be help and you're in a position where you can do that. So this course that you're asking about there's been some requests over the, the last couple of years that we design one uh, for the ag community. And, and we, we approached the instructor that put on the course originally and just asked if there was a possibility of, of designing something. And uh, so he met with somebody who had gone through the course that has very, very strong connections uh, and affiliations with the ag community. And between the two of them, the other one became mental health um, certified as an instructor. And so they're going to be co-teaching this class. And we're just really proud uh, to be able to offer this course at McFarland's. And it's going to be uh, on December 10th coming up here in a few short weeks. Okay. So hopefully this uh, podcast will outlive that date and maybe get some people to find out more. Are, are there specific agencies that you would recommend people contact if they're interested in uh, a course or at least some of the toolkit things that are offered? Yeah, they, they can contact uh, us at the foundation and we, um, we you know, if, if we need to get information from the instructor uh, prior to the course uh, or for future courses, we're happy to do so. Okay. Um, but we're the ones that are handling the registration for the course itself. Okay. Do you, th it strikes me that nowadays too, there is such a prevalence of um, mental issues, uh, mental health issues that people are dealing with. And I, I still feel like there's a, a degree of stigmatization that to admit that you are struggling with things is one of the greatest obstacles that we face in trying to get healthy. It's just, you know, and I, I look at t t things like the, what's going on today and I think, you know, you have to almost be crazy to not be crazy today. You know, that, and, I, and I, it sounds goofy to say that, but it, it it strikes me that if you can't admit how crazy these times are making us and how much stress and uh, just disorder is in our thoughts because of all the things going on, 
um, that that should be a sign that your mental health is not what it <laughs> or could be, right? Yes. Um, do you do you have like are there litmus tests or are there things that anyone listening to this right now could be just aware of in their own thinking or aware of the thinking of people that they're close to that would help to kind of, maybe you want to think a little more about that. Well, yeah. So I, one, one thing that I learned is after I came to the foundation and I became more aware of this course and, and then um, I learned that one out of every five people suffers from a mental health disorder. And I was not aware of what a huge statistic that is. That basically means within your own family, there is somebody that is is uh, is not well um, mentally. If you have twenty and, people in your family, that's four of them. Yep, you and do so, the do the math on that, yeah. and I can just say that it, within my extended family, yeah, there there's people that have needed to seek you know professional services, and and there's no take no shame in that. Um, you know, physical and mental health are very much connected and you know you also need to equally take care uh, as much as your physical health your mental health as well and 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 i um not that that the course teaches this because this is again is trying to identify signals and signs that perhaps you there you know you you might um need some some assistance or some help but um i think what's important is that people find outlets that they uh, can hopefully you know um have some some physical activity within their days so that you know you can keep your keep your your wellness both your physical and your mental wellness um, in check and so I uh, just am a firm believer that as much as it's difficult to carve out some time every day to go out and have some sort of a physical activity it could just be as simple as a brief walk but it's really really important to keep your 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 mental health in check as well sure. Folks, my guest today is Todd Worker, the Executive Director of the Sauk Prairie Healthcare Foundation. We're going to take a brief break to hear a word from our sponsors. We'll be right back to talk about something I know he's passionate about, uh, and it has to do with water. So if you want to find out more, uh, stay with us. We'll be right back here on 99.7 Max FM, Digital Network. Looking for pet supplies? McFarland's in Sauk City has them. Have a hungry dog, cat, rabbit, horse, sheep, chicken? McFarland's has feed and nutritional supplements for all your furry and feathered friends. Animal care products like fly sprays and flea and tick treatments, food and water bowls, leashes, fencing, all here under one big 200,000 square foot roof at McFarland's in Sauk City. Your complete pet supply home. One block south of Highway 12 at 780 Carolina Street. McFarland's, where service is a family tradition. We're back here on Frame of Reference on 99.7 Max FM's digital network. My guest today is Todd Worker, who is the executive director of Sauk Prairie Healthcare Foundation. Todd, we've been talking a lot about healthcare, staying healthy, being healthy, uh, having projects and funding for initiatives that do uh, just that, hopefully, uh, like the mental health first aid workshop that will be offered here, uh, hopefully again and again, right, because there's but uh, turning it back personally to you, I, I know in our talks that part of what keeps you healthy is your involvement in swimming and being a swimmer. Um, talk about that a little bit, because I think there are a lot of people out there that are struggling to find something, some activity to do that will help them become healthier. What does that, that do for you? How, how did you know this is my thing? You'd been a swimmer, right? Came into uh, coaching swimming as a swimmer. 
that's kind of nice to have it be something you already have some familiarity with. It seems to drive you in a lot of ways. Talk well, I mean, if I were to go way back to the beginning, which I'll, I'll try to keep it keep it short, but um, so uh, my parents, for for I think at least two three years after they um, uh, finished their schooling at the UW, went in the Air Force, and 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 each location they went to, whether it was in Central South Carolina or uh, Texas, or they were all Southern states, but they were always nearby the ocean, oftentimes by water. Love of water, and so that when they returned to Madison to start the community, we grew up about three blocks away from our pool, our community pool. And so they, they wanted us to teach and learn the life skill and learn how to swim. Neither one of them, I should mention, were swimmers. So my, my parents grew up on farms. Um, they were not swimmers. In fact, my dad would tell the story that when he came to the UW, it was actually a requirement that you had to learn how to swim. And he admitted that treading water for him was like one of the most hardest things he ever did he he would just sink like a rock but somehow he managed to, to pass the course and i still can't tread water <sighs> I just i get so tense when i'm in the deep water i right to the bottom so i can feel his pain <clears throat> so <laughs> so really they just exposed us to water because they just wanted us to to know how to you know to um to survive if we ever fell in. Sure. So I, you know, so my parents were not competitive swimmers, but we did find ourselves swimming competitively at a very young age. I think I joined the swim team when I was six and wow. it was on a, a club team in the West side of Madison. That's where I grew up. And so at some point I can't say for certain, probably around the year of age of eight or nine, I did more than just the summer season. I swam during the winter as well. And then once you hit high school, then I knew at that point I wanted to uh, swim in college. Right. And so not only that, but I was hoping that maybe I would be good enough that I could earn a scholarship. So I, 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 uh, I realized my goal. I ended up swimming, uh, going to school and swimming at the university of Wisconsin, Milwaukee. I was on a swimming scholarship. I swam four years, uh, I needed one more year to complete my bachelor's degree, and um, there was a brand new coach that that came in, and because I um, had the connection to the the team, he asked me to stay on as a graduate assistant. So I I agreed. I stayed on, um, and I completed my degree, and then I moved back to Madison, where I was from, and uh, with coach one more summer. I had coached six summers back in the late eighties, early nineties. And then at that point, I pursued my professional career and kind of distanced myself from the sport. And when I was um, working at Unity many years later, uh, somebody in the IT department uh, came to my cube and said, you know, I hear that you used to be a competitive swimmer and used to do some coaching. We could desperately need an eight and under coach at our at our local community team, which is part of the Tri County League. And I thought, what in the heck would I want to do that for? You know, I <laughs> I work, you know, from early in the morning till evening. I go home, I get up the next day, and I do it all over again. When could I possibly fit this in? <clears throat> and I I think I said no at least six times, and then she eventually wore me down and shame you know shamed you shame me into it. So I said just to get her off my back, like I did with my wife. I said like fine. Like the I'll, woman outside the judge's oh, window, yeah, eh? Yeah, so. I just I just said fine. I'll do it for a summer. Well, little did I know that that summer I would be coaching with somebody who needed some help coaching the high school swim team here in in Sauk Prairie, and they had just started a co-op between Sauk Prairie and Wisconsin Heights. Sox numbers were declining to the point where they were just going to shut down the program and get rid of it. 
Heights, meanwhile, Wisconsin Heights didn't have a pool, but yet they had five five guys that wanted to swim. So they said, well, let's just keep this program going for one more year. We'll start up a co-op. If it fails, we'll get rid of it. If it succeeds, we might consider keeping it going. So I, I said, fine, I'll do it for a year. And anyway, three years later, the head coach left to take a job for an organization that did not support doing something outside your, your career. So he had to resign. Uh, they posted a job for the head coaching position. Nobody applied for it. Um, the athletic director came to me about a month before the season started and said, you know, Todd, I need you to step up and do this. I know you're the assistant coach. I know you have a full-time career. We'll make this work. What do we need to do? And I said, well, I don't know how I can do this, but the only way I can possibly see it working is if you move the practices to the evening so I could still do my job. Fine, done. What else you need? And I should have come prepared with three or four other uh, <laughs> negotiable items, but I didn't. I didn't think that quick. So here I found myself coaching, being the head coach of the team, and I figured I'll just do this for one year and be done with it. Well, 20 years later, I'm still doing it. But I I will just say that um, I'm, I'm sure I could have gotten out of it many years if I really wanted to, but there's something about coaching high school students that, let's just face it, they're at a really pivotal time in their lives where they're discovering things about themselves. They're trying to gain confidence, build their self-esteem, equip themselves with the tools that they need to move on to the next stage in life. I know a very small fraction of these kids will pursue swimming um, after high school, but what you're really doing is you're working with them so that hopefully someday they will pursue something and do it with dedication and commitment, learn values about working together with a team. Uh, the story I share is how, you know, if it weren't for my background and growing up in, in a variety of different activities, primarily being sports, you may get plunked into an office environment and be in a department where you don't know any of these people, but you have to learn to work together and work together as a team to get a goal accomplished. And I think that's so much of what any activity, whether it be sports or any organized activity you get involved with. And so I think the the opportunity to work with youth and to coach and to teach them these values, you're hopefully setting themselves up for success where they now feel equipped that they can be um, good students if they pursue a, a college degree and, and beyond that. Uh, so I feel very fortunate, I guess, to be part of their, their life journey that way. The so. thought of that is uh, working with students at that level, I think, is very much like being on the cutting edge of the future. You know, because you do have that that sense of this is going to go on way beyond me. Um, and hopefully, you know, those experiences, like you said, get passed down. So it leads me kind of to my final, my closing uh, thing I love to do with the show is to, um, you know, if you think ahead um, 20, 30, 40 years, whatever that might be, and, uh, you know, approaching the end of your life. Although, you know, nowadays, who knows when that is, right? But uh, is there a thing that you or a, a quality, uh, an activity, um, you know, a, a, a character trait um, that you would like people to think of when they think of that thing that they think of you? That, you know, what, what's, you know, we tend to think of it. What is the legacy that you'd like to leave behind both personally, professionally, um, spiritually? I mean, I, I think there's a... Too often, I remember my dad years ago saying he he had a, a set of beliefs that he had, and he said, I, I suppose at the end of my life, um, people may think that I was a fool for believing some of the things I believe, but uh, hopefully the worst thing they'll be able to say about me is that, and the best thing they'll be able to say is he tried 
to do to leave the world a little better place than it was when he came into it, right? So, where, where's your legacy at, uh-huh. Todd? Yeah, well, so I guess tying uh, your question about what what legacy might I want to live or leave someday um, to the work that I currently do is I think one thing that the the work that I do with the foundation has taught me is about. Uh, a sense of community and giving back in the, to the community. And that can come in a variety of different ways, whether it's, whether it's coaching and working with youth or whether it's raising money and giving it back to the hospital so that they can better the lives of people. But I think there's a, a sense of giving back to the community, however you define that community with it's within your family, whether it's, you know, in your community, community. Um, I would like to just someday be able to continue to give back, I guess, whether that's a talent that you've acquired along the way, some knowledge, some expertise, whether it's personal financing, um, because you've, um, you've been able to fortunately save, and then you want to give those resources back in some form of a gift that you think will better that community and, and, and just better lives in general. Uh, I, I would like to be able to say that I could do that someday. And I, I really appreciate the work of the foundation and just learning about um, how foundations operate, how they're governed. Um, there's a strong emphasis, uh, you know, just on policies and procedures and all that. I, I think it would be so cool someday, uh, whether this really happens or not, but um, I'd love to just start up a family foundation. If, if I someday retire from this role, which I know eventually I will, and, and I'm in a position where um, you know, you could set up a family foundation and, and be able to give to people and organizations that are in need of resources to be able to improve their situation or improve situations of people that they're working with. I don't know how you could leave the world knowing that you hopefully made it a, be- made it a better place yeah. in that regard. And I guess that's the way I would like to go out. I don't want to retire and have nothing to do or you know, I know people retire and they, they pursue hobbies and things that maybe they didn't have a chance to do uh, because they were just so busy with their professional careers. And, and I take uh, honor and respect in, in people that pursue their lives that way. I just like to hopefully be able to just continue, even if it's doing that kind of work as a hobby, I just feel that I um, would like to be able to give back sure. in that regard. Sure. So. Which is, uh, it's, it's, I think, sometimes hard to have the energy to do that. You know, because it, it does take a lot of work, but if you, what's the old saying, if you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. So um, I hope that happens. And I, I would think, though, too, that if you ended up with one of your swim kids somewhere becomes a Michael Phelps level <laughs> swimmer, you'd be pretty darn proud of that, too, wouldn't you? Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> but what I would say to that, and I've actually said this to my son, who, who, claims that he's going to have some kind of a a professional athletic career. And what I've challenged him with is I said, all right, I'll say his name, Donovan. That's my oldest. I said, Donovan, if you, if you make it to that kind of a level someday and, and they're, they're just, you know, they're paying you so well that you have all this extra money. I'm going to be your executive director. I'm going to be your foundation director. We're going to find a way to make use of those resources so that we can give back to the people that have helped you along the way. Yeah. I've often thought it would be so cool to be at like a Bill Gates or a, a Jeff Bezos level. And not that those guys aren't doing wonderful things too, but to be able to look at 
the newspaper or have a team of people that are looking at newspapers across the country or the world for that matter and are picking out little stories of people that just need someone to come alongside them and say, hey, this isn't about entitlement. This isn't about we're we're not going to provide you with this on an ongoing basis, but we want to give you a start. We want to help you get to a point where, you know, the old saying, you can either give them a fish or you can teach them how to fish, but to be an organization that's teaching people how to fish on all kinds of levels, wouldn't that be, uh, I hope your family foundation gets started because I suspect that yours would be one that taught people to fish. Yeah. Well, you, you know, can I just touch on one story and this, this, this happened and it, it's along what you just mentioned. <clears throat> so many years ago, um, there was a, a couple of teachers at the Lodi school district that um, they basically had to offer a group of students an opportunity to earn some, some credits over the summer. And they knew that they were not the type of learners that would do well in, in the classroom setting or get, get the credits they needed. So they, they designed a course where they could go out and do some hiking and, and, and learn on the trails in a physical uh, and an activity that invo- involved physical fitness. So the problem was that they didn't have the funding for it. So they approached the foundation. They submitted an application. They didn't know if it was going to be approved or not. But really what the, the funding was for, I know this sounds kind of, but they basically needed money to pay for the bus to get them to the trail so that they could hike, right? And, and the sure. foundation looked at that, that grant application. They thought, well, at the end of the day, they are going to be learning something and they're getting physical fitness if we're going to be funding the transportation to get them out there. That's not exactly what this grant was designed for, but let's take a flyer and do this. Well, the the point of this story and the reason I'm sharing it is this group, um, it was basically morphed into the Ice Age Trail Alliance. And it's a very, very long trail, if you're not familiar with it, that extends throughout basically the entire state of Wisconsin. But um, this activity, we just, you know, I give that committee a ton of credit that they thought outside the box and it was more about, you know, what at the end of the day is this funding going to be used for? The, the, this, these teachers didn't have the money for the bus, um, but they just needed a start. Right. And so that's right. where I, someday I hope that we're in a position, if we have this family foundation, that we can think right. outside the box and provide other people or organizations with the start they need that will hopefully morph into something that's much bigger than what it started out to right. be. One, you just don't know, right? You just don't know what that thing will be. I think of like Penny Johnson up at Kids Ranch, and she's come in a number of times, come to ask businesses to walk alongside them to fund buses. The cost of renting a bus is is significant for an an organization like that. So, you know, whereas a business can step up and for $150 rent the bus, and that means that these kids that couldn't get there because they don't have parents that can drop them off, their parents are working jobs that they just don't have the time, nor do they have the fuel. I mean, a lot of times it's just, it's that dire. Um, so providing that bus can be a huge deal because you never know what those kids are going to get out of being a kid's ranch that, you know, might turn some things around and, uh, yeah, don't, don't count short the blessings that a little bit can do. Right. Um, so Todd, I can't thank you enough. I know you need to get out of here because you've got a kid that wants to be a world famous <laughs> hockey player. Uh, so, but uh, I can't I can't thank you enough for coming, sharing your time, sharing your testimony, sharing uh, the wealth of experiences you've had. I really, really appreciate it. So well, thank you. No, the, the thanks is to you because I. Uh, anyway, I just. Uh, 
Yeah, I feel I'm just thankful that I had a, a chance to just share a little bit about what we do at the foundation and the lives that we touch and the impacts that we make. And uh, anyway, just uh, hopefully for all the listeners out there, just uh, keep pursuing your passions because uh, at the end of the day, that's that's what moves the world forward. Indeed. And never underestimate what is it? Uh, uh, forget the, the, the person who said this. Gosh, I hate that, but uh, never underestimate the power of a small, committed group of people to change things because, in fact, they're the only thing that ever has. So, uh, who knows? You might be that group of, you know, small group of people that are passionate about something and you end up changing the world in huge ways. So, thanks again. Well said. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back here with closing thoughts on Frame of Reference and 99.7 Max FM's digital network. There's never been a better time to support small businesses and save big with Max FM Big Deals. Discount certificates from the Max FM Big Deals store will save you up to 50% off retail every day of the week. Local restaurants and wineries, healthy living and spa services, gifts for the holidays, and a whole lot more. New deals are added weekly. Check it out now at MaxFMBigDeals.com. That's MaxFMBigDeals.com. Start shopping and start saving. Health, the state of being free from illness or injury, comes from an old English word that meant wholeness, being whole, sound, or well. It also has origins in an old Norse word that meant holy and sacred. Care, on the other hand, which is defined as the provision of what is necessary for the health, welfare, maintenance, and protection of someone or something has a more interesting origin in words like carian or sierian, I hope I'm saying that right, which meant to be anxious or solicitous, to grieve, feel concern for, or interest in. So, when our modern vocabulary includes the combination of both words into one concept, the importance of that concept would appear hard to overstate. Think about it for just a minute. We have a huge history of focusing our attention on our individual wholeness, soundness, and wellness with concern and interest, to the point of perhaps being a bit anxious about it. Can anyone say hypochondriac? But it makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, how would we survive if we didn't attend to it? And yet, Everything that we strive for and stress over ultimately affects our health if it's not kept in check. Shouldn't our frame of reference incorporate thoughts about one's health? People with long-term medical conditions repeatedly say that they didn't really appreciate their health until they lost it. I pray that we don't lose ours in the mayhem of pandemic misinformation. I pray for a sacred soundness and wholeness to grip our nation so that caring for each other's well-being becomes at least as important as individual rights. Stay well. <laughs>